0: Welcome to ShoeCast, Shoe's very own podcast. This series of ShoeCast will explore everything from trends in the digital world to advise on how we can play to your strengths and overcome personal and work challenges. We're featuring some amazing industry guests. who will also be sharing their experiences within their field. Alongside me, I'm Rachel, the Chief Operations Officer at Shoe, and there will be Chris, our Chief Vision Officer, and also our guest hosts from the Shoe Academy, and these include Annie, Katie, and Sabrina. We hope you enjoy our series this autumn. Thank you.
1: Hi guys, welcome Hi. back to the ShoeCast. Today we are joined by Molly, our very own Molly and Rachel from Shoe. And when this podcast goes out, it actually will be National Dyslexia Awareness Day. So this is the perfect opportunity to talk about their experiences with dyslexia in the workplace, in school and in general life. So to start off, for those who aren't really familiar with dyslexia and what it entails, do you want to tell us how it affects you in your day to day life? Yeah. Do
2: you want to go first? Yeah. So um I guess for me it's more spelling so if people aren't aware dyslexia can affect everything from reading to spelling to writing and um, and mine's more spelling so when you look at my handwriting or my typing i put capitals everywhere not so much in the middle of sentences but at the start of a word i will capitalize it without thinking and i also spell phonetically so i spell how the word sounds and um, so until i couldn't spell the word and um, because till i was about 15 because because doesn't sound like you would write it. There's lots of E's and A's in there. Um words like police, I have to sound out so it's poor lice, not police. It doesn't have E's and A's everywhere in it. And, and other words like that, so could, should and would, I could not spell till I was about 13 because they're all spelt very differently like the O's and the U's and I just couldn't get my head around that. Um, so it's mainly spelling for me I can read a book fine. If someone gave me a phone number, I could read it off a piece of paper. And if, on the other hand, if someone's reading out their, giving me their phone number, I'd have to go break it down. I'll say it a lot slow, slower, because I just can't keep up when people are spelling things out. And um, similarly, if someone's like, "Oh, can you just drop this down for me?" I would, you know, say it slowly because I can't, I can't remember what you're saying. Um, but yeah, that, that's mainly me. Mine's more spelling. Um, and writing on command I guess?
0: Yeah so for me I'm a late diagnosis I've been diagnosed as an adult and um, I've always known that I've had something not quite right because all through school um, it wasn't really something that's picked up on back in the sort of the early 90s when I was at Sort of secondary school um, so thankfully to the University of Bradford and me starting my MBA so this is two, two degrees later that I've actually been officially diagnosed um, so it's been an interesting journey because I put um, coping mechanisms in there to sort of help me with my writing and it's actually the speed of my working memory so a little bit like Molly I can't remember stuff um, my short-term memory is not great so um, when I'm writing stuff I'll probably miss out sentences and words so mine's very much about speed of writing. Um, and then um sometimes because I'm trying to remember stuff, I can't um I can't then put sort of grammarise stuff. So the grammar just kind of goes out the window because I'm trying to keep up with the speed and my hand just cannot, my brain cannot function to my hand. Um so but reading and um obviously reading out aloud is not really a problem, but I also need a little bit more time to digest information. So someone put me on the spot and they asked me a question, I, I can't process that information fast enough to come out with something something back. So I hated, so I suppose all through my career, um, I hate being put on the spot. I need that time to go away, think about it and then come back with an answer and and now i understand why i do all the things that i do and there's a lot of coping mechanisms that i put in in terms of writing and getting support from um people that can um, write really really well um so yeah so i've been quite lucky that i have recognized something wasn't quite right um and that it didn't really help sort of at school because obviously exams everyone's done everything at school is graded by examinations and when you're in an exam you can't remember everything short-term memory is not great it makes them um, sitting there a very anxious time especially when you haven't been officially
1: diagnosed but you know something's not right it's interesting how different people struggle a bit differently but then there is similarities that go through all and everything
0: yeah no definitely i agree there's, there's definitely some similarities but also very very different which is great because molly and i can help each other on certain things she can she's quite good at reading through stuff and spotting things that are missing and i'm good at spelling so um we have got all our we have got our strengths and weaknesses haven't we
1: molly <laughs> yeah so after that how has this dyslexia affected your work life um like with searching for jobs or a growth been a role have you ever felt like it's held you back at any point or um i guess so my
2: for everyone who's listening I, this is my first kind of proper job, I guess. This is my, this is what I see myself doing long term. Previous to shoe, I worked in retail at garden centre and then on a beauty counter. Um, so neither of the jobs there in retail, I was writing or I was reading. Um, in in the on the beauty counter, the only thing that I found hard was when um, we were pushing for people to sign up with um, like the the uh, rewards app. And they had to give their phone number and their email customers were like oh yeah i'll do it and they'll spit it out really fast and i'll be like oh can you can you just tell that again and again and again and i guess when my manager saw that she she was not the best manager um, but she was like you know they've told you it three times you need to treat customers better and i was like well you know i'm not trying to do anything wrong like i'm not i'm not trying to it's just because i can't remember someone's email and I guess people's personal emails are a lot of initials and a lot of letters and numbers mixed together so that's me that like hell on earth trying to remember it's like trying to remember a password or a code so I guess that's the only thing that I found hard I've never had trouble finding a job and um, I've been very lucky at shoe that Rachel has this lecture as well so she understands you know she's never going to give me an essay to write she's not going to say oh you know I want you to write a massive white paper on data analytics in social Media, and I want five thousand words by Monday morning. You know, she's not going to do that. Um, but I guess I guess you've had it a bit different.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I think for me, um, I've always um chosen my career and what degrees I've done at uni based on what I've had to sit exams. So I've always picked um degrees, um, and even my master's degree prior to my MBA, have always been about um coursework because I've got that time to actually um, research um think edit and proofread (laughs) um and have everything checked out um which is great um it has put me off i suppose applying for certain jobs that require written communication skills and a bit like molly as well um i've always struggled to remember stuff like email addresses and phone numbers um so i've always kind of either made people email me um, their contact details, or I've actually got, if it's if they're face-to-face a bit like Molly situation, get them to write it instead of me having to do it. So I put coping mechanisms in place. In terms of like um, sort of emails and uh, communication, sort of working with clients, kind of developed way of um, bullet, bullet pointing up my kind of what I needed from people. Um, and I used to always um, send, get people to read my emails before I sent them out as well because I was a bit like oh I've missed words out or, I've missed something out it doesn't make sense or I've skipped a paragraph so um, I'm still very much like that now I've got a great team around me that um, sort of, we all read each other's work which is fab um, just to make sure it sounds okay or if, if the sentence structure isn't quite right especially for me um, so my spelling's fine but we're unfortunate at from when I started my career, technologies massively helped Um, things like Grammarly and stuff like that. Um, Being able to actually use a computer instead of using your hand to write stuff. Uh, they're all kind of technologies just completely changed the way that we've we've got these tools that can help us now and we are really lucky in that respect i feel really grateful for it all um if if i was right if i'd gone to uni in the 80s and had to handwrite everything i think i don't think i would have gone to university i probably would have taken a different career route because i wouldn't have been able to cope with all, all the
1: writing um so saying that do you think that dyslexia has affected like your opportunities for you? Do you think you've held yourself back from potential opportunities? I know you said you've held yourself back from applying to certain jobs because of written, it has stuff to do with written communication so do you think it has ever held you back from opportunities?
0: Yeah I I suppose um, the roles that I've picked have been quite um, practical or um, a bit like Molly they're quite client focused to avoid any writing so I've not gone for pure marketing roles because I suppose a lot of the time, sort of when I came out of you the first time, there wasn't things like social media or digital marketing. Um, and when sort of the early stages of the internet were kind of coming about, people didn't really use this type of uh, marketing uh, online because that wasn't the thing. Um, and it was very much still print marketing, traditional forms of marketing. And um, so yeah, they required a lot of writing back in the day. And yeah, I completely avoided all of that. So took a career in events management because I'm good with people. I'm good at articulating and communicating sort of verbally. Um, so I took a role in that. I'm very good at planning and very organized um, because I've had to organize myself because when you're just like, so you can be a bit disorganized in your own head because you're trying to remember stuff. Um, and that the only way is is to kind of work in lots and lots of lists um, and that hence events management is about lots of lists and very, very specific detail and timing. And you come a bit, I suppose, a bit new, neurotic about stuff because you need to be on time for everything and you become a bit obsessed with your time management. So I think I remember being at school very kind of like all over the place and you need to work in a timetable for my type of dyslexia anyway. Um, so I can remember what I'm doing. A bit of routine always helps as well. Otherwise, it makes you if I don't have that routine, it makes me very anxious. Um, I can't work to last minute guidelines. I need that time. Like I could work on a six month project and I'll be fine. Give me something last minute to do um, with a knee jerk reaction, I'd just panic. (laughs) So yeah, it has definitely, definitely um, made me think about what job roles I should apply for and stuff over the sort of my 20 years of my
1: career. Molly, do you have any experience with it holding you back from opportunities or not really?
2: I think I've been very lucky because it's not held me back from anything Um, I think I've not done a lot of things because of being anxious but that's kind of something that's spun off being dyslexic about thinking oh you know like Rachel said about the timekeeping thing like I buffer everything with an hour either end so if I know I'm gonna oh so I need to be at the train station to go to Leeds at 8am on the morning, well, I better, li- I better get up at seven. You know, I could probably get up at half seven, but I better buffer myself, because I know that the train might be early or it might be delayed, you know, I might have to change my plan of action. It's that thing of buffering everything. So I guess something that's, that's kind of held me back. Because if I can't buffer everything by an hour either end, I'm not gonna do it. Um. so yeah, I think I've been very lucky because I guess it's more I think I accepted the wrong word. I think it's more commonly known as a as a learning difficulty that now um that people like they, they wouldn't hold you back for it um so yeah i' don't, other than that, I don't think i've I've ever kind of stopped myself from doing something Good.
1: um yeah, because I know with um, school, for my, for me personally, I had like borderline dyslexia. I had it really bad when I was in primary school and they did a, a lot of work with me to get me to a place that I was okay. So by the time it got to my exams at school, I applied for extra time, uh, just because um, it takes me a while to process questions and things like that. So I just wanted time so I could plan and everything. And I got told I wasn't dyslexic enough so that I had it, but I was told it wasn't good and it wasn't strong enough for me to get extra time. And I was a bit like, I didn't really understand that other people could, but because I was deemed not enough, I wasn't given the same resources. I don't know if you have an opinion on that, but I just never thought that was right.
2: Yeah, when I, so when I was at secondary school, I failed my English GCSE. So when I was 16 sitting my GCSEs, I failed. Um, so when I went to college, they gave me the opportunity to retake it as part of the college course I was redoing. And um, when I started college, they sat everyone down in a room and said, all right, you all gonna do this test to see if you're dyslexic, because if you are, we can give you support. And I didn't pass that test. So in the, in the college's eyes, I didn't have dyslexia, but the test from what I remember was very basic and it didn't really test your spelling. It was about um like word associ- word association. So kind of it'd show you a red square and it'd say, what color is this square? What 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 shape is this red thing? it's kind of the word association i'm like but that's not my, that's not me you know i need someone to see that i can't spell and um, so when i reset my english gcse for the first time i failed um, and when i was resitting it in my second year of college there was a lot of pressure on me because they said to me well if, if you don't have your G- english gcse you're not going to get into uni you can't do a degree um, and and that's what i wanted to do i wanted to stay at that college and do my degree through the open uni and, and my, my tutors, not so much, but everyone else in the college, the, the student support team were coming down hard on me that, you know, oh, if you don't pass this, we can't offer you anything, like you're just going to have to go and get a job. And that was the first time I kind of felt pressure that, oh God, you know, I can't do this and I'm, I'm going to have to somehow. Um, and I was in a class with other students who hadn't passed who were my age, um, mature students who were coming back into learning, who were having to reset. Um some students who had other learning difficulties that were put in that class as kind of more of a social thing so I really struggled to concentrate because there was so much going on in the room and one day the tutor who was who was teaching us all said to me in front of the whole class well Molly your coursework's that rubbish and that you might as well not do the exam you might as well not fit the exam because your coursework wouldn't even pass and so i went home and i told my mum and she she had to call the college and say you know this is this is unacceptable you know you cannot say that to one student alone never mind in in front of 30 people um and coincidentally the following day i was in that english class um and there was a knock on the door. And there was another lady who came and took me out the room and she said, oh, we've we've managed to find you a computer. We've, we've managed to find you some extra time that you can have, you can do it in a different room. And, and I passed my English GCSE that time. And I was just like, if that's what it takes, if it takes a, a, a teacher who had been there for some years to be so rude to me and for a parent to complain for me to get my extra time and to get the computer you know what what about the 29 other students in that class what about the, the students who failed you know what about them you know <laughs> you can't just expect because a parent complained to get you the, the resources that you need it should be there it should it should be available
1: well, especially now that it's said like no no two people's dyslexia is the same. Everyone is different dyslexia and everyone has different ways of um, combating it. Like some people like to write in different colours because it helps them pick different things out. So no two people's dyslexia are the same. So it doesn't really make sense that people are telling you you're not dyslexic enough or you can't have something when no dyslexia is the same. So I think that's that's a problem with it at the moment, I think.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, a, I, I think the universities are recognizing it a lot Um I think we're quite fortunate because um, I'm at the University of Bradford at the moment that there is a high percentage of people in the Bradford district that are dyslexic so they do test for it. Um, I don't know about the other universities whether they do that but they, um, they I went through a very kind of rigorous um, kind of um, test um, just when I was at the, online um, and paid for it which is amazing and then this um and when i had the kind of the assessment with a psychologist as well and they'll and um, their sort of learning coordinator if i needed extra time and stuff i suppose because of the years of actually sort of putting coping mechanisms i'm so organized now i know that i need to kind of start my essays earlier and plan Um, earlier so I I didn't ask for the extra time because I knew the importance of deadlines but I think had it been kind of 20 years ago when I was doing my undergraduate degree I think it would have been a very different scenario Um, but like Molly I failed um, my English language exam and I failed it and third time lucky I passed Um, and it was just through sort of sheer hard work and, and trying to get that grade C Um, I just had, I knew I wanted to go to uni, um, but then my A levels didn't reflect the grades that I wanted to, but Leeds Beckett University gave me a chance um, because I'd applied for quite a practical course. Um, And if the uni hadn't been like that, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to kind of carry on in education. So um, because of being at school, it probably sort of made me quite depressed because everyone else was going off to big academic universities and degrees, but I wasn't getting any of
1: that. Yeah, so we've um we picked up on your know, obviously you got diagnosed at very different ages do you want to tell us a bit about um how you were diagnosed what like how you got there what sort of when you realized kind of that your brain was working differently to others?
2: Yeah I guess I guess mine's kind of were either end of the scale I guess so I was at primary school um and, and my mum worked at the same primary school I was going to and she said that she remembers me doing homework with me at home and she would tell me how to spell a word and two minutes later I, I was writing it wrong again, I was spelling it wrong and she got to the point where she was getting frustrated that she knew it wasn't me, she knew it wasn't me being funny with her, like I wasn't doing it to try and get out of doing my homework. Um, so when I was in year uh, ooh, four, year five, so I was like nine, ten, 10 and um, I went into the assistant head teacher's office and I was that at a computer yeah. and it's kind of like a DVD was put in and I had to do this kind of a test, I guess you could call it. Um and there was various shapes, pictures, sounds, and I had to it's like um a word association type thing. So it'd show, like I said earlier, like a red square and it said, What shape is this? What colour is this shape? You know, is this shape spinning to the left or to the right? And then it would show a picture of a cat and a dog and it say meow. And it'd be like, which sound is that animal coming from? Um, and after doing that, I, I, I got my diagnosis. And um, so when I was in year five and six, and um, I did the stairway to spelling, I think it's called the stepway to spelling, the stairway to spelling, um, which is a big blue book um, that I sat with, with an, a teaching assistant every Friday lunchtime. And it kind of, that was more about writing and spelling. And um, so it was like doing, a constant spelling test. So it, the the teacher would write, write read out a passage, and I would have to write it out. And then we'd go through and look at how I'd spell things wrong. I look back at that now and think, how, how did I ever not realise how that word was spelled? Um, but I guess it shows you how far I've come from from spelling fur s i u r. Um, you know who would put an i in the word fur, and um, me. Um, so then I went to secondary school. And, and the kind of diagnosis was passed over to the secondary school that, you know, this is got dyslexia. Um, and one tutor group a week, I think it was a Friday, if I remember rightly, I was in a class with other students who had other learning difficulties. And um, so some of them had dyslexia, some of them had dyspraxia, you know, it's kind of a mixed group. That was more of a homework help group. Um, so if I had work that I was doing in the class, or if I had some homework that I just didn't get or I just couldn't do, there were teachers in that room at that tutor group time that would help me with that. Um, And there was also, I I vaguely remember there being kind of um, resources and kind of extra work for us to do in that class to help us with spelling. Um, But that only kind of lasted year seven and year eight, and then that kind of phased away. Um, And I didn't really get any support over my GCSE period. But like Rachel said about picking more practical subjects, I obviously had to sit my English, maths and science and religious education Um, because my school, those were kind of like, you had to do those. Um, But my chosen subjects were media, double ICT, IT and arts um, and food tech. So you can kind of see that I I did pick the more creative ones. I failed my science exam. I got a U in religious education because that was essay writing. Um, And I just remember writing the same line over and over again because I just couldn't understand it because it was so in-depth. And then obviously I went to college. I've told you that, you know, they didn't believe I was dyslexic. And then I suppose I did. I did pass. So I got into my degree, um, which was makeup artistry. Very different to what I'm doing now. But again, that was a very practical course. But I remember my tutor always saying, you know, you've got this wealth of knowledge, Molly. You, you you go to all these museums, you do all this research, but you just there's something stopping you putting that in your sketchbooks and in your essays. You're just not putting, you know, you know all this stuff, and you can sit here and tell me it all, but you just can't get it in. To your work and looking back now, that probably is dyslexia because I just couldn't, I couldn't, I could verbalize it, but I just couldn't get it down in writing. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's my, my diagnosis story up to now.
0: Yeah, mine's a, a very sort of different story because obviously I've only literally been diagnosed officially, um, back in June. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I've kind of lived with it, I knew I've known there was something not quite right um because I've avoided anything that involves avoid um, examinations and st- um, stuff anything that involves trying to remember things like piano exams um hot like even with my horse riding I wouldn't have gone to it and jumped a course of jumps because I've probably gone the wrong way around knowing me or missed something out because I wouldn't have been able to remember the course um so there's lots of things like that um in terms of being at um sort of primary and secondary school. Um, It wasn't really a done thing sort of back then, um, sort of late 80s, early 90s. So people, I think it'd have to be quite a severe diagnosis of dyslexia. um, And mine wasn't as Probably because of the spelling and the writing and the reading that I was um, fine with, but they just couldn't understand what was going on. So that naturally just um, they just assumed I was stupid um, and put me into lower sets at school um, or just put me onto a lower GCSE paper. So instead of doing the advanced paper, they would put me onto an intermediate, um, which happened in my English exams. Um, I was fine doing maths, for some reason I was good at algebra, so it must have been pattern recognition, I must have been able to sort of remember patterns. Um, so that's, and there was a lot of algebra in our GCSE paper that particular year, I don't know why, um, and course subjects such as RE, like Molly, a lot of it was project work as well. So it was just our year was probably the first year of doing SATs, so it was still all very much a e- learning education system back then. Um, um, so in terms of exams and stuff, there wasn't as many exams um, for everyone to take, even though the school tested for and lower ones um, and a lot, obviously a lot of the kids might have had um, various other things going on like ADHD or autism, but we were just branded as the stupid kids in the middle set or the lower bottom sets because a lot of the kids were quite naughty as well. A lot of the boys because they couldn't keep their attention and things like that. And- obviously now we know there's a lot more things going on in people's lives but that awareness is more there now which is quite lucky because obviously people in your generation now are getting diagnosed earlier on at primary school which I think is a key for all, anyone's learning really is at primary school because that's when you do your brain still developing um, but yeah like over GCSE period I should have had higher grades and A-levels but again when I was doing my A-levels I had no support for anything. I was just left on my own and literally dropping subjects and dropped down to like 2A levels Um, just because they were like, oh, you can't do this. And I was like, I'm determined to get through it. I'll do something I really want to go to uni. Um, Didn't get the grades that I wanted to get because I didn't have any support. Um, but thankfully, Leeds Beckett were re- had an interview and the course I was doing was quite practical. Um, and I was already working in, in, in that particular industry sector part time, so they knew I would dedicate my time and it was all coursework. There was no exams. So I was very fortunate they gave me. Uh, they opened that door for me, but it was all down to one, a particular friend who believed in me, and she kind of said, you need to go for an interview. Um, so I was on the phone to them asking, <laughs> please let me in, <laughs> knocking on the door saying, I can do this. I just can't do exams. Um, if it wasn't for her, I suppose I, I wouldn't have I sat there. And I that day when you uh, get your A-levels and you, you just open that letter and you know you've not done very well, then it's just that dread. And I didn't go to school to pick my results up because I didn't want to see any of my friends um because they had all done really really well um so yeah there's like a really different diagnosis and then through uni um I, i didn't i suppose i wasn't very confident just very anxious about sort of putting myself forward i hated doing presentations because i thought i couldn't remember everything um, and then um, when I did my master's, it was a very different scenario because the way of teaching at Sheffield Hallam was really different. And um, there was a lot more because the class was smaller I had a lot more attention from the lecturers and stuff. Um, and it was a very different style of learning. And I, I was a bit braver and more confident. So I asked for help um, and not necessarily might not be. It wasn't from the uni, but the people that I, I was surrounded by because they, they could see my weaknesses. Um, but yeah, but since but now like going back to uni again, um, they've just so much more support out there, I suppose, cause it's officially recognized as a disability as well. So the unis are a lot more proactive um, in terms of giving that support out there now, which I think is amazing how in sort of 20 years, that whole scenario of the education system has adapted and understood people a lot more. And I think that's really important um, because uh, I, why should anything hinder people and they shouldn't have to go through that stress of when applying for jobs and um,
1: they shouldn't have to no one should go through that mental anxiety it's not fair no it's not fair but yeah i think there is definitely a lot more awareness out there for it now which is always uh coming back to dyslexia in the workplace, do you ever think it's affected you when it's come to communicate with clients? I know you said about obviously email addresses and everything, remembering it all. Do you think it has? Has there ever been anything notable that you've been struggled to communicate with clients before?
2: I guess for me it's it's writing emails, you know, getting rich from Chris and Fran to to check off those the mat on the cat because I'm thinking too far ahead in too far ahead in my head. Um so I guess for me it's getting people to check my emails over. Sometimes my emails come across as very direct when I don't mean them to be because I'm just trying to get the information in there. Um rings the office and it's like a, a cold lead. Um I had one the other day where I picked up the phone and a lady wanted information. I'm like, can we get a meeting booked in because I need time to understand what your business does and what we can help with i can't tell you that over the phone because i just can't take that on um and i had to go find her business on linkedin um because i was like even though she read it out to me twice i was like i need to double check that it's right because i don't want to send the email to a dud email and then her ring up on monday morning going you said you were going to send me an email and you haven't I've
1: just got one final question um and it says do you think it's increased awareness for this? The increased awareness of dyslexia has resulted in there being more support in the workplace, in schools, and universities, um, for to help people with dyslexia as it now is a, considered a disability. I definitely think
2: there's more support in school and universities. I mean, I graduated in 2019, and um, for my BA, and there was there was support by then, and um, so there's still I hope still up there, and. Um, but I definitely think from someone who was diagnosed when I was like, what, 9, 10? Um, there's definitely, I don't think, I think you support at higher education level because that's when you sit in ex- exams and that's when your exams kind of matter. When you sit in your SATs at secondary, at primary school, sorry, that only kind of matters for, for like the first sets you go into in year seven. I, I just don't think there's that support there in primary school as much as the race, but I suppose it matters more in secondary school and higher education. Um, and, and in the workplace, you know, I've never had a job where I needed support where there wasn't support. Um I've
0: been very lucky in that sense. You know, I know you'll have different Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, because I'm such a late diagnosis, I suppose I've never really worked in a, a large corporate organisation. Um, and I don't know what support there is out there or if there is any um but definitely the education system i think it's it's recognized now that there is that support and it might be because of people like me who may have been diagnosed in their 20s have kind of campaigned for it to kind of be put forward um and they're 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 kind of key things i suppose that are kind of changing and paving the way to get that support like from kind of the early naught is being at university to kind of going back again 20 years later. It's like a massive difference um, in terms of what support is out there, and universities are more approachable now than they ever have been. Um, and I, I don't, I have no idea what it's like at school, but I can imagine from what Molly's told me there is more support there now. Teachers are more empathetic towards the cause. Um, I think when people start speaking out about it like we are today, hopefully um, it will either get people who are kind of a similar age to me or older, perhaps go for a diagnosis now because they think, well, actually I'm not stupid. Um, uh, It's just, I can't write very well. And I can imagine like, maybe generations before me sort of um kind of 80 years old now they might have gone through school just thinking they were stupid and actually they weren't they were just dyslexic or dyspraxic or whatever is out there now adhd autism all all those things are out there and i just think you know they wouldn't they've always grown up thinking they were the stupid ones and i think that's really wrong but i think times have changed and i hope that um, sort of the bigger corporate companies will probably kind of start recognizing that people can do stuff, but people don't have to be good at everything now. And that's pretty much how we operate at SHU as a business. I know we're a smaller business, but we understand what everyone's got strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes it's just about working together as a team. Um, you know what it's like, Annie, you're on the SHU Academy, you've got your strengths. Molly's got her strength of her creativity you're an amazing writer and your grammar's impeccable you're a good proofreader Um, I'm just good at organizing people and and getting that organization there and I think it is working together as a team and perhaps hopefully the bigger organizations will start kind of seeing, seeing that dyslexic people are more creative than most people and we have got some really good ideas
1: the whole thing of playing to your strengths because I know it's the whole thing of like oh well you should want to improve on your weaknesses but what's the point in focusing on your weaknesses when you could be doing so great as your strength and your weakness could be someone else's strength does not really make sense to the team if you're doing something that you're not very good at someone's better than you at and you could be doing their job that you're better than it's just about playing to everyone's strength thank you everyone for listening thank you Molly and Rachel for telling us about your story with dyslexia and I hope that if this National Dyslexia Awareness Day brings forward things like like bigger corporations um, putting adaptations in place to support those who are struggling with dyslexia, dysfagia and everything else. Brilliant. Thank you,
0: Annie. Thank you very much for hosting.